Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. This concept is founded on love and justice for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. I'm so excited for you to hear from Hannah today. She is a relatively new teacher, teaching in an area that most people would not seek out, and teaching kids that I think many people would find to be exhausting. But what I love about Hannah is she's found a way to make her work move from exhausting to life-giving. And I think the way we do that and the way we lay out in the book Just Teaching is that people that think that anything worth doing is going to take tremendous effort, so it's going to be exhausting, or the way they do it is they try really hard, they complicate things, they micromanage or overthink, they end up getting burned out, and they don't get the results that they want. What I see Hannah doing is finding the most essential things in teaching, the feedback, engagement, and well-being of her students, and making those the easiest ones, the ones that give joy. And then she's always finding an easier path. How do I bring in other people? Where do I make this work not about me? How do I eliminate steps and focus on joy? I think you're going to hear that in the discussion we have today. And then finally, she's getting the results without burning out. And that's super encouraging. So I'm really excited for you to hear from Hannah today. We're here today with Hannah Kapitaniuk, who is a phenomenal eighth grade Mm -hmm. math intervention teacher. Not a job that a lot of people aspire to. They probably (laughs) don't say, hey, I want to work with kids who have failed the state assessment the previous year, and I'm going to help them recover math because they're going to be passionate about it as eighth graders. So we thought there's no better person to talk about how to think about teaching. It's not as exhausting, but as life-giving and joyful in a context where many people wouldn't see that. So Hannah, welcome in and how do you maintain that life-giving, joy-filled mindset when you're working with eighth graders in math intervention? Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I kind of stumbled upon the intervention position itself um, and was excited by it. That's kind of, I have a heart for that group and that's who I've wanted to work with for a long time. Um, And I would say the first thing is that the kids come in so often with so much baggage around math, but also outside of math, right? And, um, you know, if you're at the point where you failed the star, a lot of things have happened to get you there. You know, there's been a lot of breakdowns in the system per se um, for you to end up there in eighth grade, especially if you've been in the same school system, right? Like if we have had you for all those years. Um, So I feel a deep, sense of duty to make my classroom different, right? And um, I would say that the biggest way I hold joy in that is humor. And that's the biggest thing I try to bring into my math classroom is I always tell my kids, you know, I don't know who said it, but kids don't hate math. They hate being embarrassed by math, humiliated by math, Mm -hmm. right? It's the emotional kind of 
vulnerability or whatever it is that goes with it, right? The Mm -hmm. crying over the math homework at the dining room table type picture. And so we focus on fundamentals. We go all the way back. We play a lot of games with fractions and (laughs) integers and whatever we need to do to attempt to fill in the learning gaps where they are. And to me, that's a really rewarding challenge because seeing growth is rewarding, but also even if I'm not seeing growth, then I know that I'm planting the seeds or at the very least giving them an experience that has possibly differed from that that they've had in the past. Well, it's interesting. You're, you're, you're saying that in elementary school, what seems to be happening is if kids aren't getting reading or math, we just give them more of the same reading or math. So if the scripted reading curriculum isn't working for you in an hour and a half, we'll now double that to three hours yes. of scripted reading curriculum. And if you're not getting math, we'll just give you more of the same. And whether it's working or not, it doesn't matter because we're just going to give you more of it. And so it yeah. sounds like that's not your approach. Well, we, I am lucky to be somewhere where I was given freedom to kind of design this year as I, the course as I wanted to. And um, I don't do any of the same stuff that they get in their regular math class. It's all fundamentals. Um, Some of it obviously parallels, but a lot of it doesn't. So I kind of just explain to parents, hey, this is what's happening in our class, right? No tests, no homework, all practice, all formative assessment. Grades are based on Marzano's scale of kind of like seven to 10. So it's a totally different grading scale. They get one grade a week. It's just the mode of those formative assessments. We remove what I think can often remove the joy, right? I'm giving out stickers. I'm giving out snacks. And um, I work for snacks. Yeah, kids do too. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm not above that. I'm not above you can get a piece of candy when you finish your thing. Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, next level. Don't care about their physical health, I guess. Right. That's a different class. But, um, (laughs) you know, they lose an elective to be in intervention so they already don't want to be there Mm -hmm. um because their friends are all in yearbook or office aid or ag or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and they have to do more math which is already their least favorite i mean if they failed the math star then that's a pretty fair assumption right so so you're you're saying you're finding joy in this. How are you finding joy when it sounds like your students are not at least primed to experience joy in your class? Well, I would say one thing is that you get quotes from eighth graders that you get nowhere else. <laughs> okay. Right? Give me some of your give me give me your top three. Just oh my gosh. Mind. I had one kid say to me, I asked him to work on whatever problem he's sitting next to me. And he said, I'm not going to be smart just because you're telling me to be right now. (laughs) You were demanding smart. Yes. He wasn't going to deliver. I also had a kid just today tell me (laughs) that they weren't going to take my bum ass notes. (laughs) Okay. In front of the entire class. Now, I wouldn't say that was a favorite moment, but it is certainly one you can find humor in. Right. And I think if the kids watch you handle things with lightness and kind of let things roll off your back, right? Like, and, and form relationships with students, then they respond to that eventually. Some I have to win over for sure. But um, 
I would say my main way to find joy and kind of resist the exhaustion is to look for the humor Mm -hmm. and then try to focus in on that instead of walking to the teacher next door and complaining about the instant, right? Mm -hmm. Taking that, reframing it, and then talking through the instant in a more productive way because I think that's the other thing that can be exhausting is either at work or at home, coming home and saying and just venting about it can be sometimes a good outlet, but sometimes it can really be a vicious cycle. Yes, and we talked about that. I mean, because you're not only exhausting yourself by recounting that exhausting moment in the class, you're then dragging the other person into it. And so, so often when we vent, we feel better about things because we're now unified in disliking something or someone and you feel like, okay, now I have an ally, but you've really just dragged each other down into a darker place than you were in where you're finding. So the, the the student that refused to uh, take your notes, you didn't just accept that laugh it off and like, Oh, okay. He's not going to take my notes. Right. You actually have to follow up with that. And there was, there were consequences for that. Right. And then you bring him back in and try to restore that relationship tomorrow. So yes. what will that look like tomorrow with that student? Well, I'm assuming if he's going to be back in your class. <laughs> Definitely. I have been thinking about that a lot, that every day is a new day kind of mindset that I think is commonly said, but is really hard in practice. Right. And um, I was just thinking about it the other week because two students got into a physical altercation in my classroom was that first, the fight you broke up? Yes. Okay. Yes. First ever. Fight first ever. Okay. I know. It was very okay. exciting. Okay. Um, it was a fun text to send to quite a few people. Um, <laughs> okay. No student names, so don't worry. Good. But um, Good. I was nervous going back the next day yeah. because the students were still in my class. It was one of those things that really shook me, right? Like, oh. I can kind of laugh about it, but I did spend five minutes crying in the teacher's lounge about it too, right? So, right. Um, how do you come back the next day with those students? And so, the reset is so important. And I think mm-hmm. what gets me there is knowing how much those students especially need the stability of mm-hmm. me showing up. Yeah, Me showing up as me. Not with not carrying anything else. I have consequences. I enforce those. Hopefully, as much as I can, remove the emotion from those consequences. Right? This is what's going to happen, and be and I feel protective over my other students in the room. Right? When you're disrupting their learning, then I'm I'm feeling protective over that. But that still means you get to walk into my classroom the next day and 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 start fresh um, enough, hopefully, to feel safe there and feel like learning can still happen. And some days are better than others. But, um, you know, the kid who punched a kid in the face, consequences were for that. Um, they were enforced. There were conversations that were had. A few days later, he was moved classes. And I said, I don't think there's anyone you're going to punch in the face in here. And he, uh, you know, he seemed like he agreed. So that's good. That's good. And, and I think sometimes, you know, you don't find joy by making light of traumatized students and traumatizing experiences for teachers and students. But there is an element of we have to maintain some distance and be able to laugh at some of the issues that come up in class, but not at the source material. So those two students right. that are fighting, there's a lot going on. Right. With that, both of them. That gets kids to that point. So I don't want anyone to take away from this that there's humor in laughing at kids who struggle or who have trauma. But the challenge with teaching, how many students do you have a day? Uh, 90. Yeah. 
So 98th graders, mm-hmm. I mean, they're on a hormonal roller coaster in eighth grade. They're different people minute to minute sometimes where it keeps teaching infinitely interesting, yes. but really hard. Yes. And so I think keeping that perspective of, yeah, this is hard. Kids are going through a lot. I'm coming alongside, but I'm not going to get sucked into all of the the yes. trauma and the drama that you have in eighth grade, and but still love them, be compassionate, caring, right. and hold them to standards. So how do you find that balance of finding joy, but also giving them the kind of structure they need mm-hmm. and entering into the pain that many of them are experiencing? Right. Well, I would say one thing is that I have found, especially this year, I have a student population that has a lot more trauma and baggage that they're coming in with. And I actually have found students to be much more willing to disclose after they've realized that they can tell me something and I'm not going to freak out. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have an emotional reaction. I'm going to have compassion and empathy, but they can talk about, you know, their background, what's going on at home. And I can take in that info I can either, you know, bring in a counselor or check back in depending on the issue. Um, and I can hold that for them in a, in a way where I can be a safe adult holding that for them. And I'm not someone who's jumping into that emotional turmoil in that way. I think that's, that's really healthy. And I think kids pick up on that. Um, another thing I would say is just, um, compartmentalizing enough to where if I hear a child's story and I need a moment, I take that moment, right? I have absolute, I absolutely cry over some of my children's stories and just lament, um, lament them. But I, I turn that into something. So if I came home, really a student's waving, weighing heavily on me, they might get a note from me the next day, right? That just says, I'm thinking of them and, and I'm proud of how far they've come and what I'm here for them if they need anything, but in, in just a more positive kind of supportive way, um, not trying to be their best friend, not trying to buy into kind of that, the eighth grade hormonal emotional piece that sometimes is a factor. Um, and then just trying to surround them as much as I can with the right people, whether that's their peers or, um, you know, other staff or whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, kids need us to not be their friend. They need a stable adult. Yes. I realized that more this year than ever, especially with everything they have going on. Yes. You know, they don't need another, they don't need another friend. They need, they don't need a peer. Right. And I think that's sometimes where, especially, and this is your third year of teaching, you've learned that uh, probably in the first few years, but there is an element of relational that can be fun. I mean, you described the kind of fun that you can have, and I think that's important. We can't lose that. But I do think there is an element of how do you communicate to them that you're a stable, consistent mm-hmm. presence that's going to expect a lot from them. Right. And enforce consequences. Right. Follow my word. Right. Yeah. I was just talking with a teacher who's now an admin and I was asking what he missed most about being in the classroom. And, you know, he said he missed the little things the most, right? The conversations with students that happen in passing periods or at the end of class when there's a couple minutes Mm -hmm. or when they stop by in the morning, I have a kid who comes and gets a pop tart from me every morning. I just keep the box in my room, right. you know, um, so candy and, and pop tarts. That's the key. <laughs> all right. All right. And 
that is, I, I totally agree with that. I totally see that being the thing. I mean, that's what keeps you going too, right? And I think when you encounter teachers who feel really jaded or bitter, um, you know, have been doing it a long time, what might have been lost along the way is those little moments, the appreciation mm-hmm. of, and there's so many teachers that keep that in amazing ways, but I think you have to focus on that because the rewards are not <laughs> mm-hmm. naturally going to come otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to work with these kids all year and I'll have plenty who still feel the star. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But I will have built relationships along the way that are deeply meaningful to me and hopefully to them as well. Mm. No, that's good. So just a couple more questions. You're just your third year of teaching. I always like to hear from teachers in your first three years, what's been the most embarrassing thing that has happened to you? Like an, a mistake you made, you've heard all of mine you know most of my (laughs) books are filled with just terrible teaching practice by me (laughs) so you would wonder why anyone would read anything that i've written about it but anything that's been particularly embarrassing and then as a follow-up what's been the most encouraging thing that you've seen um is growth in your kids or growth in the way you interact with kids so we'll do something to maybe start with embarrassing and then uh, where have you grown okay um embarrassing i i have a multitude as well but (laughs) My favorite one, and you've heard this one, is um, when I was teaching science, fifth grade science, um, I was asked to do a pig heart dissection because the school had done it for years in fifth grade, and it kind of was grandfathered in. The kids look forward to it, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, please, no, this is not, can we get someone to do this kind of thing? And no, I was given the suggestion to watch some youtube videos and um someone ordered the pig hearts for me and i had to repeat it quite a few times but i i did watch a youtube video okay okay? (laughs) but doing it is different than the youtube video there's no smell with youtube videos there's not and i was given so i'm in the science lab there's all these like old scalpels i have no idea what i'm doing and i'm hacking through these pig hearts there's parent volunteers in there someone's in there to take pictures i'm zooming it as well right and i had no idea what any of it was is there a recording of this but anywhere (laughs) not one you can access okay um and i i had no idea what any of it was so i'm labeling things this is the aorta you know where it's like i literally am just saying stuff (laughs) But I felt so much pressure because there's so many people watching and the kids are so excited about it. The scalpel wasn't working. I'm using classroom scissors, my hands. It was a it was a You're disaster. Just, like, yes, just part. tearing the actual That's hard to I'm do. like science. <laughs> Yay, you know. I don't know if that counts as science. It sounds more like slaughter. <laughs> it really was like I, they learned absolutely nothing. Okay. I'd spent a full day on it. So that wasn't your most joyous teaching day. It doesn't sound no, like no, okay. no. Okay. I, I did think I was going to vomit from the formaldehyde smell by the end of it. Um, in terms of ways I've grown always to me, student growth, um, personally or development, personally is always going to be more meaningful to me than academic growth. Although I love that as well. Um, it's part of why I chose math, right? Math's a great subject to show that academic growth, but 
I have students from my previous school. I had one email me last night asking about sales tax. You know, like, can you just explain this to me? I miss having you as my math teacher. Of course. Everybody gets those I'd love to explain sales tax to you. Um, And so I would say growth over time is more moments, you know, toward the end of the year, especially where you can see the connection that you've made with a student or hear from another teacher about the connection that you've made. Um, and selfishly, you know, that's just so rewarding to me, but I also hope that along the way there was, um, some growth there for them as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Those, those long-term relationships are key and that's really where joy builds over a career. You Mm -hmm. have more students that you've walked alongside and then they continue to return. And that's certainly a, a meaningful way to move through a profession. And so the the last question I would have for you, if you had a piece of advice for teachers or administrators right now for how you this week find joy in what you were doing, what's what's the best insight? You've talked about laughing a lot, keeping perspective, building relationships, focusing on growth. Is there, what else would you say? Hey, if you do this, tomorrow's going to be a better day. This is, whatever, however rough it is, this is where you're going to find joy. What would you say that would be? Two things come to mind, but the first is just gratitude. So having a gratitude practice of some sort, whether that's jotting it down somewhere. Um, last year, I started writing positive moments in my planner um, and just and and referencing that way. This year, I do a lot of positive referrals. In fact, for every negative referral I do, I, ha- I do three positive. So if I contact a parent with a behavior issue, I try to I contact three other parents talking about how great I think their kid is. Um, and that has been just a almost protective measure for myself. It's been super encouraging. And I think that that makes your day better, right? Reaching out and saying, hey, your kid is awesome. Or telling the kid themselves that they're awesome. Whether I do notes every week, um, gratitude, just ways of showing that gratitude, I would say. So pick a way to either reflect, you know, while you're making copies or whatever it is. And then um, push that out somehow, communicate that gratitude. And the other thing that I was going to say is um, something you taught me, which was Brene Brown's square squad. Mm. You can explain it, but I think having a square squad that you can laugh with, bounce things off with, be grateful for with, share in that is um, something else that has been super meaningful to me. Yeah, no, the square squad just simply is uh, that you put together a post-it note with the people who you know will tell the truth to you and that you value their opinion. And most of us only have maybe seven or eight people on that list total. They can be friends, family members, mentors, colleagues, but they're the people that are going to love you no matter what and tell you the truth in a way that you can hear it and grow. And so the key is when you put that square squad together, the day that you write those names down, you need to reach out to them and let them know and just thank them for being that. And then Mm -hmm. make those the people that you go to when you need the boost or when you want to celebrate something. Yeah. And I think too, if I'm feeling really frustrated and need someone to kind of hear that and receive that, someone on that list knows my heart for students, knows how much I love them and can take in whatever I'm feeling in that moment understanding my heart and understanding how much I do love this job and can kind of redirect me there even when I'm feeling overwhelmed or even just 
truly saddened or exhausted, um, then they can kind of reorient me to where they know I am, which is in a place I love with kids I love. I fall in love with them every single year. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I don't know if you've had this moment. We'll wrap up, but uh, you can either confirm or deny this, but I always feel like at the beginning of the year, I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to love this group as much <laughs> yes. as I love last year's group. I feel that way too. And then by the end of the year, I'm like, oh, they're so amazing. I don't want the year to end. I always have this bittersweet. I know. Hey, I, I followed my fifth graders up to sixth grade because I just yeah. really thought like this is this is it, my first year of teaching. And then I have a totally new group and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would throw myself in front of a train for them. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing you, Hannah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. Well, hey, thank you for being with us and for bringing joy to my afternoon. Thank uh, you. It's great to work with you. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Hannah and see the joy, hear the joy that she feels teaching in a setting that a lot of people would spend most of their lives avoiding going back to middle school, especially in recovery math. But I think what I most wanted you to hear is the joy as opposed to the exhaustion that she feels from teaching. And that's one of the things that we have loved working with our master's and school leadership students at Baylor. Hannah is one of those students in a cohort of 29 other educators. We have 57 students currently in the program. And so, if you're looking for those kinds of life-giving conversations, the catalyzing that happens when great leaders come alongside others and help them do their work better so that that work can flourish with students, if you want to do that in the profession that makes all of those possible in education and find that joy in life-giving work, you can apply for the Baylor MA in School Leadership if you search for that. The application is free. We're building our next cohort now. And so you'll be hearing from, in coming weeks, doctoral students and master's students and many other educators and leaders from across the country. But I did just want to say, if that's something you're interested in, check the show notes. You can find the link there. You can also just find it by searching on Baylor MA in School Leadership. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Watch for Dr. John Eckert's first book in the series starting in January 2023.